Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and this is the annual Christmas special with the one and only Jordan Morgan. Welcome back. Yay. <laughs> oh, it's that time of year. It is. Christmas it is. time. Yes. Christmas launched. <laughs> you made a joke last time about this being an annual Christmas special. And uh, I apparently took that to heart because I just assumed we were doing it this year. Uh, and I was re-listening <laughs> to that episode a, a little bit ago. And I was like, oh, I guess I wasn't aware that this was definitely going to be a thing we do every year. But uh, no, absolutely. This is definitely going to be a thing we do every year. I uh, Before we recorded it, I did pitch one hour of Christmas carols acapella <laughs> with just, just you and I. But I guess I guess we'll do a hard pivot. On that. Hard, yeah, hard pivot to uh, our deep thoughts on, you know, being app developers uh, <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, you know, if you're here for a normal interview episode, this is this is not going to be that. We're just we're just cozying up by the fire over here. I got somewhere. My dog copper is curled <laughs> up at my feet somewhere. We're just we're just going to kind of sit back and relax and, you know, reflect on our lives in the last year and where it's brought us. Fireside Chats with Charlie Chapman. There you go. It's your next podcast right there. <laughs> exactly. I guess I guess to to kick things off, let's sort of let's sort of do some follow-up from our our last year's episode. So last year, uh kind of the big thing we talked about was uh you launching the best in class iOS iOS app book series. Um, Nail it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, and so you had launched it by that point and you were starting kind of your your trend of uh, weekly updates or bi-weekly updates, which we which we talked about mm-hmm. how bi-weekly is confusing. Um, <laughs> and since then, I have seen a regular uh, regular cadence of updates going through, but I'm not exactly sure from, you know, sort of the business side of things, how that's going. So I'm just curious for a check in on how how the book's going. Yeah, it's going. It's going good. It it is funny because uh, a year later, almost nothing has changed. Uh, <laughs> in that, I'm still just working a lot on the book. So, um, yeah, it, it's the sales. Like that was the big thing I was looking at because you know, like uh, one year later, I think you know they they are not as high as they were during the launch year, but right. it still averages. I was looking at my little spreadsheet that I do for you know track taxes and stuff. Still makes between twenty five hundred to to four thousand a month, so still going strong, you know, throughout Dang, the yeah. year. So it's it's been a good little chunk of income, but yeah, it takes a massive amount of time. But it's still the same cadence every. I, I say biweekly, maybe just fourteen days. I guess it makes more sense. Every fourteen days, every other Thursday, what whatever works, you know, for your mental model is the release uh, that I shoot for. But in terms of changes, I was doing two chapters at least. When, the, when I was doing those updates and that about tore me in half. So now I've gone to one chapter at least every two weeks, which is a lot more manageable um, because this thing is going to take a while to finish. And I'm at the point where everybody that's bought it knows that and they're fine with it. There's been no complaints uh, at all in terms of like, hey, can you can you go quicker? As in terms of pace, because you you already have laid out all the different books or the different you know sections yeah. of this. So do you have do you have a sense at this point based on your current pace, like how long it's going to take to finish? I think it's going to go into 2024. That's something I was going to look at mm-hmm. real soon. You need a burn down chart. <laughs> yeah, I need to get a, a nap chart points yeah. and user stories. Uh, all my favorite things, jokes uh, to go on a tangent, like 
the the same time when we had this chat last year, it's like the start of my time off that I take every year. So I have like, you know, three weeks off. I always wait for it. And then then I like reassess where so many things are at, like indie wise. And that was one of the things I was going to do is like kind of say if I did a chapter every two weeks, you know, where would that put me? When when would the, the first version be done? Uh, and I'm pretty sure it'll be 2024. Um, and I've kind of made peace with that. But another part of me kind of wants to uh, take my sabbatical at work, which I've been up for for like over a year and just like go ham on it and just crack out a ton of it because, you know, it's going to be it's going to be wild to have it done because it's taking so much longer than I thought. But I realized that pretty, pretty early on. And I'm at the phase where it's like, I know it's going to take a long time and that's fine. Uh, I think last year when we talked, I was kind of like setting in on that realization, like, oh, my, oh no, this is going to take years to finish. Uh, but yeah, I've kind of just faced it up and see where it's at. But long story short, yeah, I think 2024 sometime is when the table of contents, as I originally laid it out, will, will be finished. Just a, a little bit for anybody who didn't already listen, if you've already made it this far. Uh, <laughs> the idea here is you you release this book as a... I think the word you use was beta, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I use. And basically, like it was a... You had the first couple chapters or something done. Nine is what I started with. And then you've been, like we've talked about, every two weeks or 14 days, you've been adding to it and kind of updating it as you go. And so people can buy into it now and they get those updates but something I'm curious about is like, once you're done, is the idea that A, you'll do like a big splashy like, and now the book is for realsies out. And then and then you're done, done. Like you kind of, you know, now it's a physical thing that you sort of put on the digital version of a physical shelf and you're not messing with it. Or are you planning on kind of keeping something going after that? Yeah. So it's funny to answer your first question, like when it's finished. In my head, like, of course, I want to do some, yay, it's finished. But I've worked so much on it that at this point, I could almost just see myself like just putting up one tweet, like in a random afternoon and just be like, <laughs> all right, I finished it. <laughs> you know, it's over. You log off from <laughs> yeah. your computer. You never boot it up again. Walk off. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Move uh, on to the farm. Exactly. But I mean, no, I mean, there are plans I want to do. Like the original plan and still what I what I have in mind is when it is done, that first version, I do want to split it out book by book so I can offer like those for sale. So like if you just want accessibility or maybe you're more interested in design, like you could buy those at a cheaper price point than the whole series. And then of course, mm. from a business standpoint, like it's much easier to sell the total package if you have individual sums to offer to, um, you know, it's like, whoa, I could spend X amount of dollars on two of these, or I could just bump it up a little bit and get, you know, all five. So uh, it'll help from a business standpoint, but also give people more choice. But no, I mean, I kind of, I envision this as an evergreen project to work on and, you know, for years and years to come, because if I'm looking at my document right now, I've already got like 20 or 30 things that I want to add after I'm done with the first version, because like updates point, to previous chapters. Yeah. At that point, I, so I really started this when iOS 14 was, was out. So I have a bunch of notes for iOS 15. I've got a bunch of notes for iOS 16. And by the time it is done, I'll have notes for iOS 17 for sure. So it's like, I am going to come back and, you know, write over things like, you know, Swift charts, for example. That's mm, something I want to do. Yeah. Or just small things like, because every year, you know, iOS gets a little bit uh, better and better. And there's these little tiny improvements they make. And I don't want to miss any of those. So, you know, I've got a lot of notes on just like uh, quality of life improvements to, to go over. Um, so 
The good thing about that, though, is when I, while I'm writing it like this, it's not like I'm missing all the iOS 16 stuff or iOS 15. Like the last chapter I just did had a lot of iOS 16 stuff in there because right. it's out and in the wild. But yeah, so I do want to split it out book by book um, and I will keep working on it. But I do know that like once this first version is done and I'm not like in the gauntlet of writing all the time, the prospect of like adding some chapters every few months is much more like you know, it, it doesn't, the, the thought of that doesn't stress me out or I don't have the thought of like, I'll be sick of it and don't want to do it. Because writing is already a part of your sort of life anyway with the blog. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and I just love writing too. So it'll be fun, but I'll have a lot more balance in terms of my indie life at yeah, that point. Yeah. Um, because it's all writing, 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 writing. Um, very few time for development, which is, you know, we, we chat all the time. Uh, I've started like six, five, six apps and finished them like 50 to 80% of the way. And, you know, then I have to get back on the book and, you know, I'm all over the place with that stuff. So yeah, it, it'll be nice, but it'll always be worked on as, as far as I can see. Nice. Yeah. That's, I didn't think about that. The fact that like older chapters are older versions of iOS. And so I guess as part of the sort of, this is a complete package, you'd almost need to get those updated to a more current version if you're going to try and say like the book is done as a sales totally. pitch kind of thing. Yeah. That's interesting. I was going to ask, do you envision a, uh, like a physical version of this book at some point, but based on your answer, it almost sounds like that would be kind of difficult to do since you're wanting to always update it. it. It would be, but I want to so bad. I was actually just looking at this, uh, yesterday while chat chatting with another buddy. I could see as like, if I could figure out some way to say like, this is version like the, 2022 version right and you can buy the the print yeah. and you can still get the digital so like you could be up you know be up to date going forward but there's like nothing beats just like holding a paperback book you know exactly yeah having it on your shelf that you act like you've actually read it and it's massive at this point too like it's it's gonna yeah. be thousands of pages like it's already i think over over uh the thousand mark for sure depending on like your font settings and stuff but yeah, it would be cool to have like five books uh, and to be able to physically hold those. But the thing is, like, that's a whole world. And I've had a few talks with like some smaller publishers that would be interested to do it. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to make near as much money on that than I would just direct sales. Right. But it's just the the fun of having a book. And then there's some like print on demand things you can do. I think Kindle Direct Publishing KDP is what it's called. And then there's another one that Matt from NS Hipster did with Flight School. Uh, but that involved like setting up an API with, you know, a bunch of web stuff that I didn't want to dip mm. into or would probably screw up. Um, but it would be nice to be able to do it on demand. I think if I could figure out how to do it that way, once the first series is done, I'll, I'll definitely do it. Yeah, that'd be cool. It'd almost be like, uh, what are they called? When like video game company, like indie game companies, they'll, they'll do like a physical the version. Copy. Yeah. Like after the fact, and it's more for people who already like the thing to a support it more and B to kind of have it on their shelf as a, fun you know physical object and then that way too like once i do more updates like i could see myself just re-upping the print copy like in december right. so um you know it's like hey you know you it's been updated now for 2023 so if you want to buy another print copy with the updates you you can or you can just stick with the digital um and then there's other cool things too like i would love to have it on a website uh somehow uh which i noticed uh natalie did with uh nil Co nil coalescing oh about to really screw that up her ui kit book and swift ui like you can log in and just kind of browse it online on their website which is really nice too you know to oh, kind nice. of just like command f find what you want yeah, um, yeah or you can do the uh the uh, other formats as well so 
I kind of look at the book series as something that'll be evergreen side income for as long as I'm writing software in the iOS industry. Um, and so far, a year and a half in, it has been that. But uh, coincidentally enough, <laughs> on the day I'm on launch talking about the book series, I'm, I'm on my biggest uh, sales drought <laughs> since it's released. Oh, no. So we'll see. We'll hope, we'll hope for the best here. But I, I think it'll... I think it'll be good to have, uh, you know, as people come and go in the industry and, you know, stumble upon the work, I think they'll be interested in it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that that was like, it was good to hear that you were still making sales throughout this because one of the things I always wondered was, you know, like writing, the cliche with writing is that it's, you know, this really difficult task with in terms of motivation and everything. And we had talked about this last time with you having the pressure of people who've already bought it and people continuing to buy it to kind of help you motivate you in terms of continuing to write it. But it's easy to imagine at some point, it sounds like maybe you're kind of in that, at least in a short term right now, not having these sort of regular sales. And I feel like that motivation would be a lot harder to drive, uh, drive yourself to keep kind of keep plugging away at it. Although it's you, so you're sort of driven by lists and processes so i feel like the fact that you have this cadence probably helps you get through that easier than most people writing a book totally yeah and i mean i've got my uh i almost said notion craft not notion uh my craft document open that like and i can see like all the green check marks i have when i finish a chapter so like there's that motivation of like seeing when things are gonna you know be done and finish up and i'm really close to finishing the third book over user experience i've got uh like three chapters in an epilogue and then after that really it's like the biggest meatiest one over ios frameworks and then after that one the fifth book is really just kind of like a bonus add-on it's got like five or six chapters over just like catch-all tips i didn't know where to put anywhere else so i think mentally when i get to that last one it'll already feel like such a weight off my shoulders anyways um you know and not that I don't enjoy doing it. I mean, I learn stuff all the time, but it is like another job for sure. You know, this is something that I have to do. And it eats into your other side projects, right? It, exactly. Yeah. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned by far with this whole thing is just opportunity cost more than anything else. It's it's like I can't seem to really get that lesson drilled into my head into a good way because there's been parts of my indie journey where I'm like, all I do is write software now with Spinstack. I don't have any time to write on my blog. Uh, and now I'm like, now all I do is write on my blog and for the book, I don't have time to make software. So I envision myself being at a good place to to kind of take those lessons to heart when this first version is done and have like a healthier balance because I have found I love doing all of those things, right? Writing on my blog, writing this book, uh, book series. See, that's why I'm so bad at marketing. Sometimes I switch from calling it a book to book series uh, to doing an app. So that's, that's kind of where I want to get. Um, But it is encouraging and easy to write when you wake up and see that, you know, people have bought it and, you know, Right. And I've learned the lessons of uh, any product that you sell and that there's there's just curves, you know, like I just had a Black Friday sale. So, you know, I had a, a big bump in sales there. Then you go a few days, it doesn't sell. Then you go another few days and then all of a sudden like three people buy it in one day and then five and then zero for a few days. So that that's just how these things go. Um, but you get used to it after a while too. Like those, those lulls don't bother me at all anymore. Are you still spending time and money in in marketing we talked about that a bunch uh last year so i'm curious where that's at at this point uh the short answer is no not as much as i did last year so you know we had a lot of talk over like the twitter ads i've tried (laughs) facebook podcasts uh i haven't done the twitter ads for a while now um with 
and I'm sure maybe we'll have uh, some fun time to get to Twitter. But, you know, with, with all the baggage that kind of came with that, I just kind of got to the point where I'm like, ah, I'm just done. You know, if people yeah. find me on Twitter for it, then then cool. Uh, which is a shame in some ways because it's the perfect place to market this kind of thing. But Twitter's just like in a, in a weird spot. I tried a lot with Facebook ads the last few months. Um, I know a lot of people that have had success on Facebook marketing. But I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm either not good at writing the copy or setting them up is a little bit complicated. Twitter's interface, I think is a lot easier hmm. uh, and it's really intimidating. So I don't know. I've got like some things kind of working there, I thought, but not enough to where I'm like, all right, I, I'm not going to invest more in this because I don't have the infrastructure really set up to attribute like sales directly from Facebook. Right. I just made this like identical page for the best in class uh, website just have like slash FB and point to that. So I could like at least see in my analytics, like who was coming from Facebook to that. But I mean, you know how the Facebook app is you open it in their browser, which I don't like, then you have to like hop over to Gumroad and download it. So if you're coming from a mobile device, it's kind of feels disjointed. Right. Uh, so, and the user overlaps probably different too. Like we talked exactly, about Twitter is like where sure. the iOS community kind of lives. And they're willing to pay money for things too. It seems like, you know, like yeah. people like buying things from people they follow. Like I've, I've bought some stuff. Like I just mentioned the, the, the book from Neil coalescing blog that I enjoyed getting. So at this point I'm less into like, all right, this thing just got out. Let me really, you know, toy around with marketing. And I have a lot of disposable income to do with marketing. And now I'm just like, eh, you know, I'm working on this and it's like good side income. So if people find it, they find it. If they don't, whatever. Staying in line with uh, the writing theme here, you also have a blog. We talked about that. There's been, I feel like there's been some back and forth on uh, that also being a source of of income. Um, I know last time we talked a lot about this podcast and sponsorships and that concept. Yeah. And you you talked about how you do it on your blog, and I'm curious what the what the whole story is there. And I'm saying I'm curious as if we don't talk all the time, but uh, <laughs> but really, it's curious, like I just kind of want yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's bring everybody else along with where we're at. Let's do it. We haven't just sat down and talked about this, and selfishly, uh, I'm very intrigued by this. It's a great subject because again, this is something I learned a lot on. So at the end of last year, when I was kind of looking at like if I ever want to try being an indie, like what could I do? And the three things I identified were the book series will always be around. Like I know that I'm good with that. Uh, so hopefully I can get income from that. Uh, I love writing. So how can I make money there? And that's where I came up with sponsorships. And then the third pillar, which uh, will, I hope, be the biggest one by far and away would be my own software, which I haven't gotten to yet. We'll talk, we'll so talk about like, that after this. Don't worry. Yeah, totally. Not you off the so no, as well, you shouldn't. <laughs> um, so I, I knew I could get to two out of three of those in 2022, which I did. But what I found out is how insane it made things for me for a little bit until I rejiggered them. So for a while there, for like the first five or six months, I was writing a chapter in the book a week, which is already a mountain of work. You know, you got to research it, you got to edit it, you got to make the photos, you got to do the email, you got to, you know, send it out, uh, do the updates on Gumroad. So that that's a whole thing. Uh, I was writing one post a week on the blog to kind of justify selling sponsorship slots. And that just like torched me. Like I found where my limit was. And like, while I could do it, it wasn't like a healthy, all right, I'm doing this. It was like a Holy crap. Like I'm, I'm down in espresso working in the morning, yeah. go to my day job, do all the stuff with my family and then spend an hour Recipe on it at night. Like, yeah. And it was, it was just way too much. So 
whilst I feel like I learned a lot of the lessons that John Sindel did only like a thousand times faster and, and not because I'm wiser, but just because I realized what he did and, and that it's a lot of work to do sponsorships. Like you, you look at people's blog and a lot of the formats, they, they're all the same, right? Like I just copied Daring Fireball, like put something in the side, two sentences linked to it. And you're like, ah, oh, that's got to be like easy income, right? Like just throw a PNG up there. Just do some copy. Like what a, what a great, you know, way to help out another company and help yourself. Um, but it's, it's more than it seems like anything else in this world. You know, you got to reach out. You got to go back and forth on copy. Hey, this image doesn't look right when it's like in portrait or landscape. Can we try this one? Um, you know, negotiating like prices a little bit. And so it just got to the point where I was selling so many weekly slots that that just was like, I can't do this. Um, yeah, it's a job you know, in its and own I, right. Yeah. And, and again, you're promising an article a week too, which is more work in and of itself. And so if we want to skip ahead, what happened was I did the sponsorships. The good news was they were, they were easy to sell. I even raised the price like two or three times because I was like, well, I'm selling these too easy. Um, until I finally got to the point where someone was like, ah, that's a little high for the traffic. And so, which I'm glad I hit that point because I knew I wasn't like, you know, underselling. Right. And then, then I hit that inflection point where I'm like, okay, this is too much. So I just ripped the sponsorships out altogether. Just uh, the, the page is still up. I just didn't put the link like on my website. Like if you go to it now, it's just like, hey, these are on hold if you found this, this link. But what happened was towards the end of the year, I still had people reaching out, like me not doing any outbound, just like two or three times. They're like, hey, can I still sponsor it? And I was like, eh, I'm not doing it right now, but you know, I'll get back to you. And so I found this really happy medium where if I just sold a month slot all at once, then all of a sudden it was really doable because the work came from like having to promise a uh, an article a week, having to like switch out the uh, the the sponsor that was actually on the website and getting the you know the copy down and all those things. Where if like if you just do that once a month, then if you're going from four times a week to one, like you're cutting down the work by seventy five percent. And while you're not making as much money as you would for weekly, it's still like you know worth your time. Um, and then you only have one like sponsored tweet to do and. Uh, that really hit home. Like I'm in that mode right now and I'm still not really actively advertising them. I'm just putting them up from people that have already sponsored that want those slots. So hmm. once a month has been like a revelation for me. I can definitely manage once once a month and that's where it's at right now. Yeah, that I, I think we talked about this last time, but that's always been the struggle for me with this show is like I have people reaching out to do sponsorships. So I know it's a thing like I could do. And a lot of people would be like, oh, why don't you just like take the money? Like, why would you not? And I'm like, because if it's a job, like mm -hmm. there's there's sort of infrastructure you have to set up there. You're managing relationships and expectations. And there's just a level of pressure there. I, I guess pressure. I don't know. I Like, I don't have I feel like I'm pretty consistent with this show in terms of there's breaks, but they're breaks that I advertise ahead of time, plan ahead of time. Yeah. It's not like um, it's not like that has really been an issue surprisingly in terms of keeping up the right cadence. But, um, I, I was at that, like, I've always been at that level of, I don't have extra room for another side project, which is kind of how I always viewed the sponsorship. Right. Um, and we talked last time a lot about how one of my reasons for wanting it is to try and get an editor. Cause if I could pay for an editor, then I could spend more time on dark noise or, or managing sponsorships or whatever it is that we want to do. Um, and over the summer, 
I kind of decided that the approach I wanted to take was try and pitch this show to networks to try and like get it on some tech network because they have the infrastructure and salespeople and all that stuff to try and manage, you know, sponsorships. So I thought that would be good. But like I started building like pitch decks and nice. as I looked at my numbers, I'm like, I just don't think this show, I'll just say them right here, actually, uh, like right now or at that time anyway, episodes were getting about 2000 ish on average, uh, like unique downloads, um, at the like 14 day mark. Right. I think for a just random side project thing, I don't know. It's, it's pretty better than good. what I would. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't have the best way of measuring. Unlike, I feel like a lot of worlds I live in, everybody's really public about stuff. Podcasts are weirdly secretive about numbers. Um, there's so I mean, you managed... had a tweet yesterday that showed dark noise is just taking over the world. So, I mean, <laughs> you just got to share everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, well, and like the company I used to work for, plus you actually have sort of defined me as a person who is very public with numbers. I guess Curtis Herbert kind of in the same boat, but when I mm-hmm. sort of jumped into this, we've talked about this, but right after Spinstack came out, you wrote that uh, blog post about your numbers and the company you work for is also like very hardcore about transparency sharing and it all. sharing yeah. everything. Yeah. So you, you took that same approach and I found it incredibly helpful um, to just, see numbers for something and I could at least gauge some sort of level of expectation around things. So I started kind of doing the same thing. Um, so I, I've been trying to do similar things and I'll randomly tweet out numbers for dark noise and also for this podcast. Um, but anyway, I didn't have a good measure, but the, the numbers that I was able to sort of get through talking to some different people and whatever, I, I don't think, I still don't think this podcast is quite at that level where it's, makes a whole lot of sense for a major network anyway to to want to take on. So I kind of backed off of that, but I tweeted out like I always do a bunch of these numbers that I had gotten in preparation for building this pitch deck. Jonathan Ruiz, who's a, uh, he had a podcast for a while and has been in this space. He reached out and was like, Hey, I really liked editing this podcast uh, that he used to do with a friend. And I'd be yeah, interested. The, ro- the robots one, right? Yep. Everyday robots. Yeah. yeah. Which was great. I I think, I don't know if you guessed it on it. I guessed it on it. Yeah, I did. One time. Times. It was, yeah. it was I, lo- I really liked that show. Um, and that was, that was the big thing. So he reached out and was like, Hey, I can edit podcasts and I'd be interested in helping you out. And, uh, I was, I was a little chicken because I don't like the idea of putting work on somebody, you know, where I feel like I'm getting a little too much of the, I'm getting the public attention for this. So I right. like we've talked about that. I get a lot from the show. I get to talk to people and all that stuff. Um, but he he kind of talked me into at least running an experiment with it. And then if we can get the show to a point of it making money, then I can you know pay him. And he's kind of learning skills and all of that stuff. Hopefully, Jonathan's okay with me talking about this. If not, he can <laughs> cut this out because he's the one that yeah. will be editing this. He'll, uh, he'll have the spoiler final alert. <laughs> yeah, he it has been editing this this quote unquote season of the show and. It has been just a total revelation. Like the amount of the amount of time I was spending editing this show in combination with scheduling and recording and all the other things that go with it. Um, I don't think I fully grokked how much of my indie time was dedicated to this because a lot of it was kind of grunt work. Maybe maybe the book is a similar thing for you where you know exactly what you need to do, so it's a little less yeah. like the app work. Everything you do is unique, right? Like everything you do is a unique challenge and 
So it all feels very different. But, you know, editing the podcast, you kind of know what you're doing, but it just takes so much just literal time. Um, and freeing that up has been huge. And so I do have some of that time now and I'm, I'm starting to basically have the exact same conversation that uh, me and you had last year around sponsorships right. for the show. And so I'm kind of I'm kind of playing around that space. And I know people are going to reach out uh, and say that, you know, they'd like to sponsor, which I appreciate. And, you know, I mean, feel free to, but I will probably answer the same way I've answered before, which is <laughs> I am thinking about it, but I'm not quite there yet. Um, but I, I it's curious. It, listening to you talk about that was sort of validating because I, I was starting to feel a little silly turning money down because of the amount of work. It it is work <laughs> to take people's money. As weird as that sounds, yeah, it is. It is. It's fun. It's fun work. But my here's my take. And when we do our next Christmas bash next year, hopefully the conversation will go like this. At one point, you were like, "Just screw it. I'm gonna just try it and see what happens." Because I think that's the stage where you're at. Like, you know, if if you try it and it doesn't work, then it does it doesn't work. You know, or you may pivot a little bit, like that's I did with true. the sponsorships on the website. Because I kind of had those same. Well, it'll be better when X or Y. And like in my case, I'm like, well, when I get more traffic to my website by writing consistently, then I'll sell scholarship uh, scholarships, not scholarships. Sorry, not <laughs> handing out scholarships, uh, sponsorships. But then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try it and see what happens. And nobody balked at like traffic or prices. You're none right. of that. Like it just, it went right away. And uh, I think you can come up with a lot of reasons not to. But at this point, I think I, you just got to, I think, try it. Like even if you set low expectations for yourself in terms of commitment, not like will people buy them, but just say, I'm going to try it for two episodes or one month. I'm just going to do that and see how it goes. Because that way you don't put that mental like burden on you where you're like, okay, this is a show with sponsorships now. Instead, it's just like, I'm going to try this two times. And if I like it, maybe I'll keep it going. If I don't, then I won't. You're absolutely... That is... I mean, you're you're hitting me right in my soul here because that's exactly it. It's like, I'm afraid to start something because... It's like, all right, now this is a this is a show with sponsorships this is a and it needs to have now. all the things. Yeah. And yeah, no, you're right. That is... It's funny, this conversation sounds very similar to my conversation with with Jonathan Rees, the, the one who's editing the show, where he's like, you're not stuck with this. We can just try yeah. it for a couple of weeks. And if if you don't think it works or I don't think it works, we can stop and you can go back to where you are and nothing's nothing's harmed. And I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> Whoa, this isn't... I, I think <laughs> this I have is, this... It's all good. I just have this incredibly conservative, uh, slow approach uh, to we're things. the same in that area yeah, yeah well exactly which is why i like talking to you about it because uh you know i can talk to one of our mutual friends josh holtz who he'll just uh, do he launched him yesterday yeah he just will do everything and like <laughs> and if they don't work he's fine and he just moves on and it's like me and like we are we are dif- different brains and so i'm like yeah sure that works for you but you're josh right like you can decide <laughs> you want to start a conference uh and then a couple weeks later, you have logos and a venue half booked. And it's like, what are you Can doing? Can we just talk about how nuts that is for a second? Starting a conference? This is this is the Christmas special. We can go wherever we want. We can't. That is insanity. Like, I was talking to my wife, Jansen, about this. You know, I'm using my stipend at work. I bought tickets for this conference. Here are the dates. Just a heads up. And she's like, oh, cool. What is that? And I'm like, all right. So, you're not going to believe this. But, you know, those 
guy I'm always talking to, you know, laughing about. He's sending me funny gifts all the time. He just started a conference <laughs> and just like, was like, I'm just going to do a conference. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing a conference too. And then he did it. Like, I cannot believe the, like, just thinking about that blows my mind. The logistics, finding the venue, actually putting money down to do those things, the websites, figuring out how to sell tickets, how to manage all that. I cannot believe he did that. Like, yeah. it's incredible to me. That is not, I don't have that skill set. I would overthink that for 14 years. Oh my years. gosh. That's the, that's the thing, right? You need a person who's not like what we just described, like us, where, you Total take squad. everything incredibly slowly and overthink each thing because you're never going to get any of that kind of stuff done. And just so everybody's brought along here, we're talking about the the conference he's starting is called Deep Dish Swift, which I think I, I feel like he texted in a group chat we're in as like a, a joke, like, oh, somebody mentioned to me the idea of starting a conference. And one of us is like, well, it has to have you know, a funny name. And he came up with that name like on the spot. And then all of a sudden he's sending us like artwork that he's commissioned and talking about venues. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like it was stressing me out seeing somebody else. Uh, but, you know, he's doing it very responsibly too. He's got these huge charts with how many tickets he needs to sell, which I think he's he's close to like the break even point already. Don't let his exterior fool you. Like he's Mr. He's Mr. Businessman. Yeah, yeah. Day. Like he had a whole thing that he shared that was like, I need to make. X amount of sales and sponsorships to, to break. Like he, he knew all of it. And that sounds like the scariest thing in the world to me to do that. Um, but we're talking about someone who goes all the way from making an app to remind you of what your age is to someone who can go all the way and make a whole conference. So like, it, it doesn't surprise me. He's got, he's got that bone in his body to just go th- and do things, uh, which, yeah. which I envy. I need to steal some of that from him. Yeah. And I'll put a link to, to the conference in the show notes, but it's called deep dish swift. It's in Chicago. It's in May of 2023. 30th to... Yeah, I think... Or May yeah, maybe something. you're right. Maybe I was thinking May 1st. It's it's on that April, May uh, like border. My plane tickets are around that, but I don't remember when the exact conference dates are. April 30th to this, uh, May 2nd there are you go. the actual dates. And I've announced this on Twitter, but I haven't said it on this podcast actually. But again another one of these josh texting me like hey do you want to do this and i'm like oh that sounds fun and then it's now it's a thing we're doing a live episode of launched at this conference so i don't think we've announced who it is but the person is booked and i'm very excited about this tim cook (laughs) yeah we'll go (laughs) exactly uh just a small kid no not quite yeah, so so I'm doing a, a live on stage episode in front of real people episode of uh of this here podcast. That has to be your first sponsorship. I think that's it right there. Let me let me pull a Josh Holtz on you and just be like, you got to just get a sponsor for that one. What better way? Oh well, yeah, I don't. Or or is that a conflict of interest because he already has he has sponsors? For I, don't know, I don't know how that works. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't so, take Josh as a I'm going to sue you type of person, though. So that's you know, true. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. Once he <laughs> yeah. decides to, yeah. though, it might just happen. Well, right? he doesn't joke around. So if he does say he's <laughs> going to sue you, you know, past history shows that, yes, he is going to sue you. <laughs> he actually does things. Exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll end this little plug. But for real, uh, if you have any interest in meeting other iOS people, which I've talked about endlessly on the show, how desperate I am to meet other iOS people. And another thing about this podcast or conference that's I think really cool. I don't know if I've other conferences have done this is I think the first like day is like a half day and it is basically a track dedicated to indie development. 
So he's got some great indie developers, uh, some of which have actually, maybe all of them have been on this show before. A lot of them have. I think uh, Curtis Herbert's on there. Emmanuel Curvisier, uh is Malin. I think, yeah, I think they're there. Both of them. Yeah. Malin and Kai. Malin and Kai. Either way, there's there's kind of a, like a track dedicated to indies, and at least so far in you know paying attention to the the Twitter sphere, it seems like there's going to be a nice you know gathering of indie developers there. I think it has the potential to be really really cool. Actually, I think it's it already is really really be, cool. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's definitely going to be. So I love the focus on the indie track. Link will be in the show notes for that. That's a big part of why. I want to go to these things is to see, to meet with other, you know, indies on top of, you know, learning about being a, a better developer and all that stuff. Well, and like the business side too, because it's so easy to forget like how many people are doing the indie thing as like their actual sole income, you know, like, you know, Russ with happy scale, of course, Curtis has been doing great for a long time. Uh, I could go on and on. And like we joked about last time I was on the show, anytime you make a list, you immediately regret it. You're like, I knew yeah. I just forgot like 13 <laughs> people. So you, you, of course I'm forgetting people, but uh, it would be so great to learn like more about the business side of things too. Like, you know, I know Emmanuel shares a lot with uh, card pointers, like and, and in his email campaigns, I've always been super interested in that. So just soaking up all that kind of knowledge, having all those people in one place is going to be a lot of fun to kind yeah. of pick up those, those tips. Definitely. Um. So yeah, so you'll link in the show notes, uh, as you would say at the end of a <laughs> link in the show notes, show notes yep. something like that. Um, Find out more. But I guess, I guess to to like wrap up that little conversation, though, I think you've talked me into I should just try it in terms of adding sponsorships to to this show. Just try for like two, yeah. Just limit it. We'll see, because I feel like the last one ended with me being like, "Yeah, I'm definitely going to try this stuff," <laughs> and now we're talking about a year later. So you know. We'll check in next year to see where that actually goes. But I'm going to have uh, Josh make a tw- uh, Twitter account that just tweets days oh, since no. Charlie said he would start sponsoring. And you know that he will, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He once will. he hears this, that we'll just get a get a text that's like, and here it is. <laughs> yeah, I automated it with all the Yep. He'll he'll go in on that. Oh, man. Yeah. OK. So so I guess whenever I said earlier, uh, if you're interested in sponsorships, you know, maybe don't email me. Maybe do email me and yeah, uh, do it. And yeah, I'll re- I'll I'll I'm going to make a commitment to try it this year. Not not a yeah. like I'm going to start it and now it's a thing, but in a like I'll even maybe say in the read like this is an experiment. You know, let me know what you think. Whatever. Like I called my sponsorships a beta when I announced them too. <laughs> you know, like I don't know if that's a term anyone's ever used for sponsorships. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing how much that helps. I do that with lots of things. I still have features in Dark Noise that are in what I call Dark Labs, which is like my beta that. group that were like features at launch. But I, I still don't feel great about the implementation. And so I'm afraid to take that Use label on risk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, someone just wrote about it, too. in one of the links uh, in, the, in that group chat with live activities, I think they mentioned specifically the, the lab section in Dark Noise. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's where the mix uh, audio thing is. Okay, well, there you go. You heard it here first. We'll try it. You heard it here first. Charlie's doing sponsorships. Everybody hit him up. Flood that inbox. Another thing I want to talk about is, uh, like you mentioned, you have this you know life balance of you like writing and you write like developing. And right now, writing is kind of the, the thing that's been getting all the attention. But you have been building some apps and you've had a bunch of different apps that have gotten to different stages of... Uh, 
completion. But there's one that feels like, you know, you've been sort of toiling away in the background for a long time, treating it like a true business. And I'm just going to say the name right here. It's called. Now I can see because I have webcam on uh, your face because you said I don't want to reveal the name yet. I, I can't wait to see what the edit is. I think we should just say the name freely throughout this whole section and we'll just beep it yeah. every single time. Well, yeah, because I am working on this project as well. So, you know. Well, now, see, now that's confusing because now if you beat that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan. Oh, jokes that nobody else is going to understand besides the two of us. Those are the best. You haven't revealed the name of this, but you have talked about what it is, right? So I'll just mm. let you pitch it because I don't know exactly how you're messaging this yeah. right now publicly. It is a pro- project management. I always switch between product and project. So I don't really know which one is right. So honest. does every acronym at every company ever. Yeah. Yeah. So project management tool built specifically for indies and even more specifically one person teams. So people like you, people like me, every developer out there that they do everything. That's who I'm building this for. Um, and the backstory is I built a kind of hack together version of this when I was working on SpinStack. Had a nice little menu bar app. Wasn't pretty, but it did some very basic things for me that I really loved and enjoyed. Um, and then as time went on, I kind of been sharing it here and there, you know, just doing a little tweets and people would ask, oh, what is that? And then, you know, sharing it in the, in the group chat too. Uh, and it kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what? I think other people could use this. Um, and I'm at that point where I need to learn the lessons I learned from SpinStack and f- and not fall into the perfectionist trap. Like this has to be the one. Like this has to come out hyper polished with all the features. And instead, just stick to the basics. Um, so what it would do is basically have an emphasis on quickness and lightning speed entry because I'm building it around all the things that I use it for and that I need and betting that a lot of other indies value those same things. So get things in there super quick and then be able to organize them by like, this is a feature or this is a bug and then track releases. And the nifty little thing that I've done, which I don't know if a ton of people are going to love, which that's a good theme. I'm not going to know anything until I launch it is that it kind of like gathers together release notes uh, for me and then I can kind of copy and paste them and, and move them around. Um, so yeah, the, the, the one liner is uh, product management software for one person teams. I, I was on the receiving end of this at one point and I think you've probably gotten this a lot where you sort of like tease this thing you're sort of working on and it's like, yes, please. Uh, I, I think I was just on uh, another podcast where we were talking about how I use Trello right now. And mm. it was like, yeah, that's, that's the thing that's always worked for me, but it doesn't feel nice. Like Great. It's built exactly for what I want. I sort of am using a thing that's really intended for teams and, you know, bigger sort of thing. But I'm wanting to use it for this one specific use case. And the idea of another indie making something for, I don't want to say just indies, but for, you know, the sort of smaller team or single person focused, nice experience kind of apps feels like right in my wheelhouse and so i know i'm really excited about this and lots of people have expressed that to you um but yeah it is like it's a big ask right this is a mac app right yeah and i've never done a mac app so there's that thing of like i want to make sure that i do the platform justice and even though i've used a mac since 2006 i think as my main driver i know what like a good mac app feels like 
but I don't want to miss all those fun little API things that like someone who's been on the platform for a long time uh, would be like, oh, they missed this. Like that's an obvious thing. And not yep. like they would say it in a rude way, but like those are the things that I want to, to, to try and hit. And of course, let's be honest, uh, in the Mac uh, community, they would say it in a rude way. <laughs> probably like, oh, this doesn't even select, you know, like, so one of them actually, and I've given a really early alpha build to to you and a few other people, but one of them that I had to build all custom was like the selection of like multiple tickets. So like if you had like 10 things and you held down, I forget off the top of my head without doing it, but like shift or command, whichever selects multiple things in Mac OS. Like I had to customize the logic to like select all of those individually. So like if you did the first one, the third one, the fifth one, you know, those would all be highlighted. Or if you hold down shift and click from like one down to the very bottom, it selects all of them. Right. So like I'm trying to get all of those like table stakes things in there. Um, but either due to my ignorance of Swift UI on Mac OS or <laughs> just ignorance and APIs in general, uh, a lot of those things, if you want a customized look, don't come for free. Um, yeah. Like for example, uh, I'm not using a list on uh, Mac OS because it just, I could not get it looking how I wanted. But the trade-off there is you don't get the free reordering. Uh, the selection, I think, comes with lists for free. When you use a for each and a V-Stack or a lazy V-Stack, like you kind of have to do all those things yourself. I'm so big on aesthetics and looks, and I have I have it looking how I want it to look that I couldn't sacrifice the other things, which means I'm having to build out a lot of stuff by myself. Uh, but as long as I keep the focus on a lean MVP that does a few things well, um, I'll be good. But you know, then the doubt monster starts to creep in like, well, how do I give people a reason to use this over like linear for just one person, right? You know, because linear is like blowing up the world right now. Yep. Everybody loves linear and, and it's a great product. I don't want to say that sarcastically. I, I've used it and poked around to get like inspiration and it's nice. But at the end of the day, it's still built for teams. Um, so, you know, I keep telling myself like I could give myself a thousand reasons not to do this. Same as you with sponsorships or anything else. I just got to go and crack on and do it. But the other part of the problem is, as you well know, and we can get into this in a little bit if you want, is I keep <laughs> working on so many other things and I'm like, oh, well, you know what? This one's almost done and it's way easier to put out than untitled project, right? Yep. So maybe I should just start with that. Uh, so I'm in this frustrating phase of doing so many different projects, but not releasing any of them while also spending a ton of time on the book. And then I try and take a take a breather and come up for air and just be like, relax. Like you've done so much this year when I stopped to look at it. Like I should feel accomplished, right? Like I, I launched sponsorships. I wrote like 60 blog posts, I thousand pages. Like I should be proud of myself. But the predominant feeling I have is like I didn't ship something. And that's like gnawing at me. So again, I just go on that mirror go around like maybe I should just some, uh, ship something that's smaller that I can get out there that I'd be proud to work on before this app, because this is like my big one, you know? So around around I go in my little head and send uh, you and some other buddies 50% done projects and start the, the dread process over and over. Yeah, that, that seems to be the theme is like, this thing is so big and it's not like you can just cut it off and it'd be useful early that, mm -hmm you get to a point where you're like, I need to just have something out there and then you'll start on a small thing, but then you get a certain ways through that small thing and you realize, well, this is taking away from moving forward on the big thing. And then, but you do keep coming back to this, which feels like a good signal that this, yeah. this is the thing. And maybe, you know, those might feel unhealthy, but maybe they're good for you because it just gives your brain a break because ultimately yeah. you're like five layers deep on uh, side projects at this point. So like, 
you might need, uh, you know, it, part of it is for fun or needs to be in your head for fun until you get close enough that it's like has business viability because, you know, right now, ultimately, it's a project that you're doing to sharpen your skills, make it, you know, make the book writing more useful by having a project that you're working on, yada, yada. But once you get closer, you do seem to be treating this one even more than like Spendstack or any of your other projects as I want this to be a like business with a capital B. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I want to work on it for a long time. Um, you're absolutely right. And that's, that's where you keep spinning your, your, yourself around crazy is like, you know what? Like all businesses start somewhere. So I don't need to have a big splashy launch. Although I wouldn't be upset at all if that happened. It's more about let's get it out. Let's get a good foundation right. and build up from that. And that's, I need to take my own advice because like I'm saying it out loud and that's what I should do, but I'm not doing that. Um, and you know, you're not at a good spot where like you feel like the code that you already have is like legacy code in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah like, before the first I've, launch even. Exactly. Cause I've built so much with Swift UI this year, uh, you know, at my day job and otherwise to where it's like, this is trash and I can make this a lot easier to manage. Um, so I'm like fighting that, but you know, it, it is something to where like I need to hype up less in my head. Cause in, in my head, I'm thinking like, Oh, people expect like the same polish as spin stack and you know, the same kind of quality, but like with a better formed product, which I would love to do that. But at the same time, it's like, you know what, just that's all in your own head. Probably just get it out there. Some people will like it, you know, some won't and, you know, grow and make it better. So that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm curious, like, I feel like one of the things you did to sort of start making this feel more real was you announced it in part to mm -hmm. just give yourself that public pressure. Um, and I know I harp on this a lot on this show, but in this case, it feels like a really good use case. It almost seems like if you could get a beta that people could use even if it's less polished, which I know is hard for you to do like test flight or whatever that could get the ball rolling on the things that, so like, I think the, the things that people will request are going to be the things that are useful for people more True. than the polish that you're probably caring about now. And that might help with sort of reframing your, your perspective on uh, like right now, you know, you're like, all right, I need to add a filter somewhere and it's going to have this little drop down. But then once you start building it, you're you, which means it needs to be like the nicest drop down. It feels fully native, <laughs> exactly. but it's also kind of custom in these couple ways. Um, and you'll go like really deep onto that because there's no, there's nobody asking for the next thing necessarily. But once you have, you know, people that are like, Hey, I just want this button to exist. You might be faster to just get the button out there in a less nice looking way and and then polish on it. Or maybe everybody's like, yeah, that's that's good enough. And you can move on to the next thing. That, that's a great point. Because, yeah, if I don't have someone over my shoulder, so to speak, asking me for other enhancements, I will spend uh, two weeks on on a drop yeah. down. Like, I and like, the like the one book. example of that. Yeah, exactly. Because like, that's the only reason the book is working is I have the external pressure. And I mean that in a positive light, not like, oh, pressure, but like, right. I have to, I have to do it. You know, I've promised it. Whereas like another good example, like if, if you play around in the app now and like you made a, an issue or a ticket, whatever you want to call it, when it's open, you can tab around every single element in there. Cause I'm like, it's a Mac app. Like I got to have keyboard navigation. It would be embarrassing not to. Right. Um, but that was not easy to do because some of those, 
so many of those controls are customized heavily to where, you know, I had to do certain things to make it all work, uh, write a custom modifier to just like even get an arbitrary key down on Mac OS. So all these things, whereas at the end of the day, if I had a beta out, I don't know if anyone would notice that. And if they did, you'd find out soon and then you could prioritize it. Exactly. Because in my head, I'm optimizing the app in so many ways for people like, you know, that have been blogging about Macs for 20 years. Because like I had this nightmare scenario in my head where they're like, Oh, look, it's a Swift UI app on Mac OS. That looks nice, but doesn't even have keyboard navigation. Yep. So, you know, that thought like terrifies me. But you know what? It's kind of like, screw it. Yeah, it doesn't right now, but I can do it, you know. Um, and I kind of need to get there because, you know, I'm looking at the email list. Like I announced it once and you know, it's got four, 429 people that are signed up, at least somewhat interested. So it's like I could get a good beta pool, but... The thing I need to fight with that, and you're always telling me not to worry about it, but I, it's so hard not to. It's like, I'm so scared of like someone copying stuff. And I know that's so silly. And I always tell people not to worry about that too. But like, oh, it's like, if I have some, if I... This one in particular, it's not, the idea is not the gold here. It's going to be the implementation, right? Like the there's a million project management apps. The thing that's going to make this work is the the expertise and polish that you you apply to this and care and attention and somebody that's just copying isn't going to do that like yeah they're going to copy linear they're not going to copy you and again if they do i don't think i I don't know maybe that's easy for me to say because it's not me but i really don't think that that's going to be a high risk like do you you. ever fight with that with dark noise because i know you have a like we're the opposites there like i took my betas pretty close with spin stack and i like cut them dead as soon as like the release came out whereas you i i I always see you pushing out a beta openly asking people to join it and uh tangentially related i see that a ton with uh streaks too um you know he's always putting out open betas and in in my head i'm like whoa these are like paid up front apps like how can they afford to do that but obviously it works um and i i don't know i don't know too much about your space to where like if there's others indies tackling it which sounds weird that i'm like kind of self-conscious that other indies would like try and copy it i mean it sounds silly now that i'm saying it out loud because outside of that the only people i'm really battling are the are the big boys who probably don't really care what i'm doing anyways yep and if there's other indies again i don't know i i really don't especially with this one like it would be so much work to copy it and by the time they got to that point of doing that much work they're surely going to have a different idea of how they're going to work on it if they're willing to put the amount of work that you put into it they're going to put their own spin on it right Right. so like i don't know it doesn't feel like it's a little different if it's one of these small apps that's like uh a, a unique hook right or something totally different and it's it's maybe easy to implement but it's the idea is the gold and there, yeah, you have to hold that close to the chest or something. Or or the implementation is difficult um, and you want to keep how you did it a uh, secret. But in this case, it's just it's just grinding out the work and having the expertise on UX and understanding the HIG, which is something that, you know, you're one of the foremost indie experts on probably. I try. And especially in the Mac space, like how many people are making low effort Mac app clones? That's probably a, a lot less point. than on iOS. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you see it on iOS every now and then. And like, my heart sinks when I see it. But if I take a step back and I look at the times that that has happened, 
the apps that maybe ripped something off or outright copied, like didn't do anything anyways. Like, and, and I know Christian yeah. Selig had this problem with uh, Amplosion a little bit because he, he did it entirely open source uh, out of altruistic reasons. Like he wanted to say, hey, look, you can look at the code so you don't have to worry about what I'm doing with uh, Safari, I think was his original motivation. Uh, and then he dealt with some, you know, uh, apps coming out that were super similar. So you see that, but then at the end of the day, like years later, because I think he released that with iOS 15 or 14 or something. Like, does he care really now about that? You know, he, I'm sure he learned some lessons, but I don't know if he would really change too much about what he did. And, and I could be putting words in his mouth right now. I'll, ha- I'll have to text yeah. him after And this. that's a little different uh, just but, because it's literally the same code. So you could, you could yeah. imagine that actually having an impact on sales. But like, if somebody were to make an app called, you know, super indie project manager <laughs> well i was saying like in the case of dark like dark sounds or something like that oh, okay gotcha and it's a purple icon that's similar to mine i i don't know like there's especially in my case there's a bajillion white noise apps i don't know that that one's gonna make that big of a difference to me any material difference it's a little different if they're, if they're using your exact name right obviously there's an issue especially like sometimes people throw stuff on the play store like the google play store with your exact name and it's like well that's a problem because they're literally trading on my name <laughs> and that hurts your not just hurts your reputation but like is deceiving people maybe uh which is not great but in terms of the actual impact of your business like that's more of a moral ethical thing i feel like than a real problem i've always looked yeah. at the test flight thing more similarly to like adobe with photoshop it's kind of like the people who are going through the effort of getting this free version of the thing what percentage of them really are representing people who would have paid in the first place probably not a huge one and then if you actually measure that out like test flight has a limited number of beta users you can even have and if i look at my metrics on how many people uh have the test flight beta and i say even 50 percent of those people if they would have bought it sure that's like oh that's a nice chunk of money but then that's it that's just a chunk of money at that point it doesn't represent this kind of ongoing loss of revenue. But what it gives me uh, right now for dark noise is a safety net. Like I push stuff out. Like I just added uh, 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 telemetry deck analytics to dark noise. I could push that out through my test flight and I could see, you know, a couple hundred users immediately flowing data through and there's no crashes. There's no weird stuff. And that gives me like so much confidence that I have like a safety net there. Um, that I yeah. didn't do something at least horrible, right? And so... Yeah, I just need to adopt that mindset more, especially with this, because this is an app where I could really see the feedback being really helpful because the audience is so defined, way more mm-hmm. than anything else that I've worked on, that I'm probably not going to get like, hey, cool, thanks for letting me try it. Maybe try a different color for this label. I, I envision the feedback being more like, hey, my flow works like this. Can I can I do that? Yep. Am I thinking about this right way? Or like, this is awesome. What would really like take it over the edge for me is X, Y, and Z. So like I, I do need into to think a spin of stack once you put it out there, right? Like how much yeah. spin stacks after release development was people with different workflows asking for small yeah. tweaks that made their life way better. Yeah. And it wasn't even close to what I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. in the first place, which was, uh, I've talked about that to death probably on my blog, but like that was a huge issue with it. And especially now with like, kind of angling this already is like, Hey, this is like a subscription product. Like I want it to be part of your flow. Like I got to make sure I'm nailing those flows for everyone. And it's felt so good and right for me that I, 
I just know that, well, no, knew that world so well when I worked with SpinStack, like all the pain points that I felt with like hopping around from GitHub to Trello to paper to manage all of these things. Whereas this worked so much better for me, even in like its crummy hacked together state. I feel confident that it'll help people. And it's one of these things too, where when I look at like the vision of what I want to do with my indie stuff, this is like another foundation, sort of like the book series, like something that I want to have. Like yep. it doesn't have to blow the world apart. It just needs to be part of revenue that, you know, kind of comes together with other stuff. Cause like, you know, I looked at the book, uh, cause we we're talking about sharing numbers. And I think you're, since it's released, it's just under 150,000, which is great for me. Like I hear that and I'm super proud of it, but you know, when you're being realistic, like that's not like I can just do this and it's done. Like this is like, that's not quit your job money at all. Right. right? Yeah. Especially, Especially when you have a family of five. Um, well, and a lot of that was, you know, launch numbers. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think like two thirds of that was, was launched for sure. Uh, so I kind of look at like, I want to take like four or five tiny, tiny bets and see if I can get another thing that makes like $150,000 and then maybe make it recurring and slowly just kind of build up with some quality products that would sum up to get me to where I want to go. Your multiple stool or multiple legs of your stool, right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I need to build the the freaking stool though. I only got one leg on it right, right now. Yeah, so it's not, it's not gonna work. Um and even There's... if the next leg of the stool isn't perfect like I want it, like it's just it's gotta be out there. And again, sort of like you talking about sponsorships, I feel like that's always been me with software in our relationship. Like I always I could come up with a thousand reasons not to get something out the door because I'm like, well, it's gotta be this or that, it's gotta be pretty. And that, and that's not a novel problem at all. Like we all a lot of people struggle with that. Oh yeah. But ripping the Band-Aid off and actually doing it is so tough for me. That's why, I mean, we mentioned it with the word beta on things. That's, I really think getting it more out there with, through, through like a test flight beta or something. It's like, it's a lot less embarrassing when you're like, Hey, this is really rough guys. Like, yeah, I think I even told you all like, it's going to crash and your data won't be saved on the next update because I don't have like migration. And (laughs) like, you don't have to open it up to the whole world at first, you know, that kind of thing. But it, it lets it lets that who was I talking to recently? You know, I think it was uh, Simon with Rune, with Runestone, I think was the app. I don't remember which app it was, but I was asking how the launch went. And he was like, well, uh, it was almost like a soft launch because he, he had been beta testing it for so long that it was really yeah. just flipping a switch. He felt pretty confident because there were so many people already using it. And I think I think there's something to go with that, with the actual shipping it in terms of making it a product that you sell. Um, there's a lot less stress around it being having these big bugs or something if you know you've already gotten a big user base that's already sort of pounding on it. I think the idea of like a soft launch sounds so appealing to me because we were we were talking about this with with Daniel with uh, up ahead. Like he was kind of joking with us like how the the hardest part of that and I'm paraphrasing was like just getting that launch ready. Like I got to make a website. I got to yep. make a video. I got to make the screenshots. I got to make the press kit. I got to reach out to press. I got to make the tweet. There's a thousand things to do. And sometimes you want to do that. Like with SpinStack, I love doing that. But I'm almost to the point where I'm like, I would be fine with just saying, here it is. I'm going to slowly build it up over time instead of doing the grand boom, you know, like here, here it goes. Well, and you can still do the grand boom at the point it goes on sale. Like that's exactly. I think, the thing. And then you're, you know, that big rush before a release 
where you're trying to get all this stuff, all these fixes slammed in and get press and get websites and get, you know, all these other things. What if the app itself wasn't part of that rush because it's already ready and then you're totally mm-hmm. focused on marketing and all that. Um, and I think there's, there's maybe a, I don't know if this is a cynical take, but like another element to this in particular with this app is, you know, you're imagining this app being an important part of people's workflows. And so if you can get it to the point where people are using it and recommending it, it's sort of building an audience as this free thing and it becomes an important part of people people's workflows. Obviously, with a very clear upfront, this is eventually going to cost money, guys. Once you flip that switch, there's a huge audience built in who can make the mm. decision right then. Is this important to me or not? And they already know. Like the adva- the thing I think about is uh, MimeStream. Are you familiar with? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. So it's a it's an email app that ba- basically feels exactly like Apple Mail, but it's specifically built around uh, Gmail APIs, mm. and it's it's incredible. Like it's I've never liked any email apps before, and this is the one I like. It's only on the Mac right now, but it's so good. I need to have the the guy who's building it. His name is Neil. I can't remember his last name. I'll put a link in the show if notes. If only there was a podcast which was suitable to have such people on. Yeah, it. yeah. Seriously, I need <laughs> to have him on because I adore this app. It, like, I like the Apple Mail app, but it's always been a problem with Gmail in particular, especially yeah. at my work so where, where Gmail or like Google focused. Um, and it has like the little widgets that show if you get a calendar invite, they have the like, yes, no. It's not links that then open up a browser to let you accept or not accept or anything. Um, it's just an incredibly good app and it's still in beta and it's free. And he's been clear that like, once this is, you know, officially released, it's going to cost money, but he could charge a decent amount of money. Maybe I shouldn't say this publicly, but he could charge a lot of money and I would still pay for it at this point because it's like, I would be so sad to lose it. It's, it's a major part of how I work and manage email and email is such an important thing for me. Um, and I hate, I hate it. And this thing makes it a little bit less bad. Um, And so I think you could have a similar thing here where like, you know, at first people, lots of people download it because it's free and they're curious, but some of those people it'll click with and they'll keep asking for updates and changes and tweaks and you can keep, keep on making it more and more solid. And then they're going to start recommending it to people. And then you get like a little following. And so when you flip that switch, um, you have a group of people who've already decided it's worth it at a certain price point. And then of course, finding that price point is always a difficult thing, but oh yeah, um, I really, I really think, I know I hounded it a lot, but I really think if you can get it to an MVP point where people could start using it, um, mm-hmm. and then get that out there, even if it's not as polished as what you want a, you know, Jordan Morgan TM app to, to really feel like, I think that, I think that would be really worth it for you. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of that, uh, kind of ch- changing a little bit to do that, like through a prolonged beta. So that way I can have the clear delineation of like, okay, I'm at V1 now. Like mm-hmm. you can use the beta if you want, but from here on out, like now it'll, now it'll be like the paid exactly. Um, and I could, yeah. Cause really all I need is to, to validate that people do also work the way that I think. And it's, it's almost silly that I have it because the slow, tiny little drips of information I've given about the the app, I've always gotten like 
yes, like that's what I want to do. Um, you know, like the, even just the sidebar of like categories of stuff. I've had people like that. I think of things that way too. Like I think of X, Y, and Z. That's how I want to categorize things. So yeah, it's, it's good. It, it's funny because these Christmas specials, which I have nothing to do with Christmas. It's just Christmas time. <laughs> it always ends up being our like sort of uh, therapeutic moment where yeah, we both exactly. kind of face up the things that we wish we were doing maybe differently and hash them out. So I think, I think the, uh, the Christmas gift we can give to each other for 2023 is you bite the bullet, try a few subscriptions. I just clean this up to where it's not going to at least crash and can receive updates and then just start going to town and getting feedback on it. Um, and I've got it. I think for me, what I really have to do, and again, it's so hard and I've said it is I just have to riff off the bandaid in terms of it not being as pretty or perfect as I want it yep. to be because that's, and I also put that pressure on myself because I think if I write this book series about like how to make great apps, if I had this other app that was uh, objectively like good looking, like then this one's got to like meet those standards. Yeah. But really that's the lesson that I learned with SpinStack. It's like, you have to think less that and more as a business. Like if you really want to keep working on this and you really want to get it to that point, then you've got to make some concessions along the way and not bad ones, but the right ones um, right. To, to start the train going. Because uh, I can always make it prettier after the fact. And one of those things which you've mentioned multiple times already, but like I think it's worth diving into a little bit is is subscriptions. Uh, you've mm, talked about yeah. this a bunch with with uh, SpinStack. So SpinStack was a paid upfront app, uh, and then I came out with Dark Noise soon thereafter, and I was already planning on doing a paid paid upfront app. But like your thinking around that was very similar to mine. I'll let you start, but I do I do want to kind of you know get a little more therapy into our thoughts on subscriptions really quick uh, with that too. So my, I've completely 180 on them. So I started SpinStack all those years ago. Paid up front was at the time kind of like my favorite way to buy apps, which is not anymore. True. Hand over heart. I prefer subscriptions now. And it was easiest to do, which I've not built a subscription app yet. So I can't really speak to how easy or difficult that is. I know, you know, we got stuff like Revenue Cat that everyone really seems to enjoy their store kit too, which I guess makes it a lot easier. As I put in a blog post that I just published a few days ago with SpinStack now being sunset, the biggest problem with it was, yes, there were product issues, but to fix those product issues, I needed a lot of work. And I think I could have made it worth it to other people and myself if I had recurring revenue with it. Um, so I think with subscriptions, you're kind of saying, I'm serious about this. I want it to keep going. I'm going to provide value to you. And not only that, but... It just is what it is. They make so much more money. Um, you know, like if you look at SpinStack, it was often on sale for three bucks. I look at a $3 app in the app store and today in 2022, I'm probably not going to buy it. I can't try it. I have to look at reviews. I can look at the videos, but I don't bat an eye and spending on like 30 bucks on like up ahead subscription, right? And how much more is 30 bucks than $3? Um, and I do that with several apps. I, I pay for craft. Uh, Ulysses, all sorts of stuff. And I'm happy to do it. So I think the market is more prepared for it and more uh, accepting of it. But, oh, oh my, I did not even know my daughter was home and she just walked. <laughs> it's a Christmas special. You have to have your family. <laughs> she, dude, they were gone at the gym. I did not know that. <laughs> dude, that freaked me out. I'm just sitting here chilling and all of a sudden, bam. <laughs> Baylor. Oh, gosh. 
Wow. It's right, coming down. <laughs> it's funny. Like, I could just, see her coming, she, like sneaking up on you. And I guess I didn't you didn't see, see it. That's hilarious. No, she like tugged on my le- like leg. You little sneaker. Um, well, I guess my wife's back from the gym now. Uh, now that I've had my heart attack. But yeah, where I was going with that is like, if you want to build a sustainable business, I think subscriptions are the best way to do it now. Um, I think the market is more accepting of it. I think the tools are there to do it. And I think it helps you build a real business uh, and not an app. And I think it would be easier than paid up front. Of course, paid up front still works for a lot of apps. I know uh, Dark Noise still sells and it's still working for you. But I will say uh, here on December 9th, 2022, that I think you would make more money with subscriptions than you would as it is now. Yeah. And I think I've talked about it on the show. If not, I've definitely talked about it on Twitter, but I am in the process right now of of switching over and really uh, at least experimenting with that in the same vein. It's a similar conversation actually with somebody, maybe you, about this a little while ago where it was like, you're allowed to try this. And if it doesn't work, you can switch back to paid up front. Absolutely. It's a little harder yeah. the other way. But with this, it's like, okay, if it really backfires... It's not like I can't go back. Um, and yeah, like I feel like uh, the big things that really change that one is like trying to look at this more like a business for different reasons, our environment being a little different in terms of the tech sector. Um, but but also a couple different sort of intellectual thinking. I don't know what's the right word here. Uh, ways of thinking about it is like Daniel Gautier when he was describing how, you know, one of my paranoias with, with subscriptions is it kind of makes, puts me on the hook for like repeated value. And since it's yes. a side thing, I don't know that I can do that. And that always like really stressed me out. The idea that I would feel like people are paying me regularly. I need to make sure I'm putting out lots of updates and everything. And he said, he thought about this sort of inverted, which is, if it's paid up front, people are like, they're expecting a couple years at least worth of repeated updates. Like that's the yep. expectation. Whereas if it's subscription, they can cancel it if they're not getting that. Like they get the value now and then if they're not getting it later, they shut it off. And that freed him up mentally in a way that was like inverse for me. And I, that was like a like, whoa, you know, moment. Um, and the other thing is like what you were saying, my attitude's changing. I was definitely did not like subscriptions initially. And I would say I'm still actually more in the boat of people who, if there's a paid upfront option, I would prefer that. I just don't like that sort of mental thing hanging over me. Um, But there are examples where I've really, really liked that model. Uh, One of them is flighty. I don't know if you've used flighty much uh, since it's come out. I know flying has been a little Uh, less accessible. I haven't, but I I dive into it all the time because Ryan and his team just do such a, great job with the design of it it's so uh, and, good and you're hearing it too uh first that that will be an apple design award winner yeah soon like it, surely that that one's not gonna not win it's so, so it's so good prediction. gets brought up often and it's you know it's not overhyped it really is that good of an app but the thing with that app is when it first came out it was like this app's expensive like yeah it's really really nice but for how many people is this really worth it and so i kind mm-hmm. of i always played with it you know the free version of it because um because it's such a nice app it's a good example you know to look at and then you know i used the trial the first time i flew um and i was like oh wow this is really nice but what really like changed my thinking was when i realized 
I think it's $6 a month, which isn't worth it for a year for me because I don't fly that often. But then once yeah. my mental model changed and I was like, the next time I flew after I tried that trial, I was like, wait a minute, I can just subscribe for one month and I will have Bam. it for both yeah. of these flights. It is a thousand percent worth uh, adding $6 to my round trip flights for my whole family to have this way better app version. And so once I started thinking about about it that way, I've used it for every flight I've gone on since because it's a no brainer. And sometimes, you know, if you if you like time it right, you know, you can get two flights into one month or something like that. Um, And I probably ended up paying more than the yearly flight for one of my years because I did, you know, fly a bunch then. But like that mental framework really like opened my eyes to how this can be better for people too because dark noise in particular it is an app that a lot of people use every night or every day when they work right that's a big portion of my user base but there's another user base which is probably a bigger group that is i use it when i'm on vacation like i'm in a hotel room i'm trying to get my kids quiet i have a white noise machine you know an actual physical machine that we have at our house but of course i don't lug that to hotels or whatever so i just load it up on an ipad and that's how i get the kids to fall asleep or whatever like i I hear that a lot from people so i don't have the analytics to back it up because i literally just uh started measuring this but i've heard it enough that it makes me think that it's a significant portion of my user base and for those people having an actual monthly option that like yeah it's not worth it for me to have this uh to pay an annual price for this but a couple bucks for this month while we're on this trip, 100% worth it. And I like the idea of like opening up those opportunities for people. Um, and those those are the two like thought technologies. That was the word I was looking for earlier. Those are the two thought technologies, ideas that have made me like really open up to this as me feeling better about it. Because I think I was just feeling guilty about the idea of adding subscriptions because it's a side project. Uh, it's not like I think it's unethical for people to do. But for me since this isn't my 100% full-time gig, I always felt a little guilty about it, but I don't, I don't have those same, same misgivings now. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm on the journey of exploring that right now, kind of a similar time as you, except I'm switching an yeah. existing app over to it. I mean, a hundred percent. I agree with everything you said. I think subscriptions honestly are just the best for everybody involved at the end of the day, because if people enjoy software and they want it to be developed, then we need to continually make money from those things um, that we're making to to justify that or to to kind of get you over that threshold to where it becomes like your full-time gig. And the great thing is from as a consumer is they can offer that up so many different ways. Like flighty, like, hey, I'm flying once a month. I have no need, or I'm sorry, only once this whole year and one month. I can just do the six bucks and get the value from it. Perfect. I mean, that's not a subscription to them, but that's how it's packaged up, right? And then if you love it, then maybe you hop onto the yearly. And and that's the other thing. Every subscription I buy, I was trying to pull it up on iTunes Connect. I don't know how on the Mac App Store. Almost every subscription I buy, I always do the annual. Like uh, Same. And that's why it's well, so interesting usually. that you mentioned Flighty though. Because that I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. But that's a great example. Because... I don't like the mental burden of like adding something to like my budgeting spreadsheet, but like if I can just buy it in one shot and then decide a year later, like, do I still want it? I do that every time. Um, And so it's just, it shows two different scenarios, buying it for a whole year versus buying it for this one-off, you know, situation that I have for six bucks. That's what subscription gives to you. 
Um, and so as developers, if we can make more money to do things we love and as consumers, if you've got options, how you want to consume and pay for that, like I, it's no wonder that they're so popular now. Um, and it's easy to say, oh, subscriptions, another subscription, but not really all the time. You know, it's like, it's, it's not like this, uh, handcuff that you have to buy it for two months, a year, keep paying for it. It's like you, you have the choice. If it's not delivering the value that you want, then you can drop off. Whereas if you bought it for one time, and it's not what you want, you know, you could either get the refund or the developer stops working on it, like, like SpinStack, because you get the nice launch, you get a nice little tailwind, but then you've got to really dig in and become a business and you need to uh, reaffirm the value you're giving uh, with more revenue and recurring revenue. And it's just all, all signs to me points towards subscriptions. And I don't see myself ever shipping an app that isn't subscription based at this point. I definitely think there's like, I do still wish we had uh the ability to do paid updates that would be nice yeah but there's there's a lot of there's a lot that's cleaned up by not having that as well right like the fact that yeah with a subscription it's like everybody has the same version of the app there is complication with do they have the free version or the not free version and oh yeah especially for me since i'm converting it's like you have to treat the people who bought the app initially different than free people obviously because you don't want anybody to ever lose anything and so there's a little bit of complication, but it's a lot less complicated than, you know, there's, well, especially if you do frequent updates, there's, you know, 18 versions of the app out there and you need to be supporting all of them and you need to send security updates or something so that you yeah. don't break the old people, but you don't want to give them the new features because they need to pay for the upgrade. And so there is a lot of complexity that comes with that and reducing that complexity lets you focus more on actual features, which the people who are regularly paying you know, that's where they're wanting yeah, that, that to go. So yeah, it's a complicated thing. And I, I do think there, I don't think it's a clean, like all pros and no cons, but especially given that I have been actively working on this for over three years now, I think I've, I've talked myself into trusting that I will keep working on it. I think that was another thing with when I initially launched it is like, I don't want to ask people for, you know, recurring uh, money from them. If, is this going to be something that I tail off of? You know, I've done a million side projects before. Is this going to be like a lot of those where eventually I get bored of it? And it seems like the answer is no. It is Apple keeps coming out with plenty of new things for me to integrate with. And also I have a endless backlog of ideas, um, including some that will cost me money, like adding servers that I'm yeah. afraid to do without recurring revenue. And if I had recurring revenue, I can invest in that. I could build out a bigger library of sounds that are hosted, you know, somewhere else that you can download. And so well, and that's the other thing too. A lot of the stuff that we make has a recurring cost to us, mm -hmm. which again, with uh, Ryan before Flighty and he had Weatherline, like that's the lesson that he learned the hard way, which he talked about on launch. It's like, which I couldn't believe. I, I just finished that episode a few weeks ago. What did he say? He was paying like five or $6,000 out of pocket to just yeah. keep it going, which is, uh, like which is crazy. You know, props to him, but I would be like, sorry guys, you're out of luck. <laughs> I know. You know, but he was able to, you know, to to switch that up and make a business model that made more sense. So, yeah, for sure. It's it's not a silver bullet, but it does seem like it's the best option for me out of what we've got. And so, when I'm thinking of these side projects too, I also look at them in that lens. Like, is this an app hey that I want to do and provides value, solves a problem, all all the normal stuff. But like could it justify a subscription? And like, if it doesn't, like I kind of kick it off now because it's like, well, I'm just going to repeat what happened with SpinStack, you know, best case scenario, you know? <laughs> yeah. So 
I want to, I don't know, man. I just really want to put my stamp on things and really start building a proper business with the stuff that I put out. Uh, and to build a proper business, you have to continually make money. Yeah. And I didn't get into it. I just want to throw it out there too, that another piece of like anxiety I have about the switch for me in particular, since this is an existing app is like that uh, always anxiety you have of like, is, is the fact that it's paid up front the reason why dark noise is working, right? I don't mm-hmm. know that. I doubt it. it there almost no data would point to this being the case, but there's that fear I have in my heart of like, if I switch this over, is it like, well, well now you're like the other white noise apps. The only reason people yeah. were buying this was because it was paid up front. And most of those people were buying it and then never used it. And they were just giving you their money and then, you know, turning around and now they're not going to do that. And like, there's like this, like this sort of fear that I'm destroying the business uh, by doing this. But that the way I like undid that is what I talked about earlier is somebody pointing out to me, like you can go back. It's you're not stuck. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is really like where I'm at right now. I still have a fear that I'm going to switch and be the one person because almost everybody, it seems like it helps their business, but maybe I'm the one example of where it destroys this whole thing. I, you know, I got lucky (laughs) with this thing. Yeah, exactly. Then I disappear from the internet. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, another way that I think about it too, is when we think of those examples of indies who, who truly have a business from their apps, that that's their sole income. I don't think one of them is not a subscription. I think every single one is a subscription. Uh, Peacock. I think that one's still, still a $10 paid up front app. It might be. Yeah. And, and yeah. So but there's, I guess there's the, less the one. like how used <laughs> yeah. to be and now they switched. Yeah. yeah. What's the meme from like Batman? You either like live long <laughs> enough to become this. Like it's this, I think I actually tweeted that one time about subscriptions. Like you live long enough to become the subscription app. Right. But which you know, makes it, sense, it, right? Because if you live yeah. long enough, you get to the point where you saturated the people who buy your app. And now everybody's just getting free updates at this point. And perhaps the biggest thing that I think about is like, they can try the app, you know, people could not try SpinSec. Yes. You had to buy it and then see if you liked it, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like I get when you put it that way? regularly, at least one a week, um, often multiple that are people asking for a, a trial of the app. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now that is technically something I could offer with a like in-app purchase. You know what I mean? Like it's free to download yeah. and then, um, and then you could do a one-time in-app purchase. But, but yeah, like having just a trial where it's like, here, you have everything. This is the whole app. You get it for, you know, three days or whatever. That's a thing that a lot of people want, especially with a white noise app, because what they're really asking for is I want to hear all the sounds because what they're really yeah. doing is downloading a dozen of them and trying to find the one that they like the most. And then they'll stick with that. And right now with dark noise, the only way to try it is to literally give me money, um, which makes that a much harder sell. Oh, yeah. And it was that way with SpinStack, too. Like, I go back to the product problems that it had. Uh, they would download it and think it worked completely differently. And then, you know, right, rightfully so, they wanted their money back. So I think trials open your your market up so significantly, yeah. you know, because you've got to have a lot of people looking at dark noise that maybe just don't want to bite the $10 bullet. And if anything, your success is a paid up front app. I would look, that, look at that as a data point as even more... Uh, motivation to be subscription because if so, if you can get enough people to pay ten bucks without even being able to try it, I think you're going to get a lot more interested parties who would happily give you a free trial and then decide if it's for them when there's no barrier to entry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I will say, just from a pure uh, 
like it's nice for my ego perspective. It'll be sad to leave the paid up front health and fitness chart category. Uh, <laughs> it's always it's nice pretty, to see it. Charting. It's a lot yeah. easier to chart uh, on that one than <laughs> than anywhere it else. Is. It's, especially on the Mac app store. It's usually me and uh, streaks, you know, kind of dancing awesome. towards the top. Uh, but obviously yeah, you that pretty much never chart. I would assume when we go like free paid up front, cause that you just be get like guess. the Titans of industry who yeah, have yeah. like, you know, the marketing yeah. budgets, but you know, if we trade the, the nice chart number for, for more money and a sustainable business, then I guess that that's a trade I'm sure me and you both would, would make any day. I don't know. I really value my uh, big head. You know? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is a, to talk about that for a minute, it's such like an endorphin boost though. Like if oh. you open up the app store and you see it's like, oh, number 10, number yeah. one, number 15, sure. it's like, yeah. All right. I like that. That definitely feels good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, Charlie from the future here. Uh, so this next part of the conversation, we are going to talk about Twitter and Mastodon and kind of our feelings uh, with all of the things that are going on. And I just want to put a disclaimer out there that we recorded this uh, a couple weeks ago. And a lot has happened since then. So just keep that in mind. Uh, probably from the time that I'm recording this disclaimer, uh, there will be a bunch of things that happen because we still have a couple days till this episode comes out. And then who knows how many days till you listen to it. So this is a very fast moving topic. There's a reason I don't normally talk about uh, newsy type events on this show because we record ahead of time and, you know, it can make us seem really out of date. Um, but I thought this was a good conversation. Wanted to leave it in there. So just throwing that out there. Okay, back to the show. So we are, we're technically over your time. Do you need to to wrap up or do you want to get into the Twitter thing? Uh, how about we do a lightning round on Twitter? Because it's just too fun to talk about. The world around us, in particular, the iOS uh, world that it lived in. I'm so excited to hear this monologue, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Twitter as an entity where we all exist. Um, that has been a major part of both you and I getting traction in this in this industry and 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 being able to sort of build a already rolling my eyes at myself but build a brand right mm-hmm. i'm an ignorant guy who tweets about my failures and hopefully people will learn from me and you're a smart guy who blogs about apple apis smart doing a lot of work in that phrase nope nope not letting you uh counter that <laughs> uh, <laughs> twitter's been where that lives and right now twitter is in in an interesting place and by the time this app this episode comes out in two weeks or a week and a half or whatever it'll probably be in another interesting place that who knows we can't even predict what it'll be in at that point um and i'm just curious where you're at with that this is you know we're sitting here by the fire just enjoying some eggnog and talking about our thoughts and i know both of our thoughts are in this place probably like a lot of people listening right now Uh, i'm just curious what you think about it all i have gotten to the place where all right let me back up the beginning of the year i could not imagine life without twitter let me say that yeah. which context. sounds sad but let's all be yeah, honest it's with just ourselves. so important like yeah the example i've always given other people like you know like my family for example who's not on twitter like my mom or dad like if something happened with my job and i got laid off the first place i would go to is twitter mm-hmm. and i would find my next job through twitter like it's such a valuable career tool yeah for me and for the ios development community okay so all that said fast forward to today and like i've just made peace that maybe it won't exist <laughs> in a year or so, which is just wild. I would never imagine me saying that. But the, I have this odd sense of calmingness too about it where it's like, yeah, all right. Maybe if that happened, whatever. You know, like I've, I've had these thoughts before, like, am I still going to be tweeting when I'm like 60? <laughs> you know, like, am I still going to want to have this drive to like share everything I'm doing, which sounds 
silly to say, but it's like stuff I've really thought about. So I'm at this place where I hope it survives, but I'm not going to try to help it survive. And if the ship goes down, I'll be the dude from Titanic playing the violin as, as the ship goes down and, you know, do my salute and, and then just probably chat with people like you in group chats and, uh, make reels of my kids on Instagram. Like, I don't, I don't know that I'll really go to Mastodon or try and to, to keep up. Uh, there's, it's just like, whatever happens, happens. And it's so weird. I did not think I'd be at that place at all. I thought I'd fight tooth and nail for it to survive, but I love the iOS community and I have my blog and people did that before. So my kind of thought is just like, well, I guess if that used to work, even though technology in the world has changed, maybe it'll work again, or maybe Twitter survives and, and nothing happens at all. But who knows on that one? Yeah, that's that's what's weird. It's like I've said this to a lot of people. Well, so to back up a little bit, like I'm in a similar boat. One difference is I'm I'm a little newer to this world, although I don't think I can really claim that anymore. I've been saying it for forever. In the last couple of months, I think I've fully accepted like no, you've been I'm around not, a while, I think. Yeah, no. I'm not building a network the way when I started this podcast, I was only, you know, a couple months into dark noise being released i was only basically exactly a year into developing anything for ios at all and so i had this like especially when the pandemic was starting to get close and it was looking like wwdc might not happen i was starting to get pretty panicky about how do i establish myself here in this in this world that i really want to have that network and this podcast is it was a major part of that the biggest part of it was twitter and it wasn't the platform, it was the people, right? Right. Like, and that's where the group lived. And that's what I spent. I spent a lot of energy trying to, you know, create relationships uh, with people that I felt like, you know, could make sense to help me out in this industry. If I lose my job, I can help get another job in this space. Or if I want to launch a project, there's an a group of people who will support me in the building it. And then a group of people who, you know, pay attention to what I'm doing and would be interested or at least look at it or whatever. Um, and so I, I don't think I fully, I don't think I ever got off of that mindset, you know, with the pandemic, it's like, I kept, I was like building in my head to, all right, I just need to sustain this energy of, of, people paying attention to me uh, that sounds weird but i guess that's what i'm really you know and i look in myself that's what i'm thinking until wwdc where i can finally shake hands with people and make some friendships but with twitter dying and i shouldn't say dying with the idea of twitter dying in my head i think i have taken some stock and been like you know i do have friendships we've alluded to it but like i have i talked to you outside of twitter in iMessage we've met in person before uh like I have some friends out of that, out of that, you know, singular group. And so it is a thing that, that does exist that I do have going. That being said, I still think there's just so much value in, in the community. And also I want to help people that are trying to do what I'm doing or what I did right now. Like if I can help, like uh, we've talked about Russ, uh, I think on the show already, but Russ Shanahan, he was one of the first people that while I was tweeting about the beta, I have no idea how he found me, but he like gave me a bunch of feedback and it was encouraging and like helped sort of bring me into this. And I want to, I want to do that for people as well. And if Twitter is not going to be where that lives, I, I want to at least have some presence wherever that is. 
And so I, I've like jumped on the, the Mastodon bandwagon. I have lots of thoughts on the actual viability of that as a platform. <laughs> um, True. But the reality is, I feel like there's this sort of amorphous entity that is the iOS network, you know, which is just a blob of connections between people. And it, it was really focused on Twitter. Like, you know, you and I are probably in multiple Slack groups with a bunch of random iOS people, maybe some discords, some group chats. But every one of those, what it's full of is links to Twitter, right? Like, it, oh, absolutely. Like a lot of times yeah. the group chat is where you put your takes that you're, you don't want to, you know, uh, tweet, tweet because you're, you're, you're trying to get feedback from people. You don't want to say something embarrassing, whatever. Um, but that's sort of the glue that holds it together. And like with, with Twitter's insanity right now, that group, that amorphous blob, it has not moved wholesale to Mastodon. Like I think a lot of people on Mastodon feel like it has, I think it's like fractured into these two groups, but there's a lot of threads connecting them right now anyway. Um, and so I, I'm keeping like a foothold in both and I'm not sure Mastodon is where, where things will land, but I do think that if this is a network that you care about, having something to bring you along to wherever it lands is helpful. And I think Twitter will exist long enough that if something else hits, people will talk about it on Twitter and then that's where, you know, where people will go, whatever. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I literally put the section header for this Twitter. Let's get our feelings out. And I think, <laughs> I think that's what I'm doing here. It's like, it, it freaks me out. I think I have more calm than I did in part because of that acceptance of like, I think I'm more established than I at the surface level, you know, feel like I am. And so I think I can find my way into whatever, wherever group we land, but there's a lot of new people coming in and I want that, that channel for us to like us as a community to develop new, interesting talent and people to keep going. Cause I, cause I don't think that's a given. I think there are development communities where it doesn't exist, especially not in the indie scene. And a big part of me and you probably being able to get into this like we did is people who are already in it being really open and talking to us and giving us feedback and talking about just what they're doing and us learning from them. And I, I'd like that to continue um, in whatever form that needs to take. Yeah. I mean, long story short, I, I wanted to survive and go on because there's just truly no place like Twitter. Um, and I think the other weird thing that I'll add, because I mean, I echo the same kind of things that you're saying. It's like, it definitely feels tangibly different right yes. now. Uh, and we know we were joking about this on the group chat. Like, uh, of course, we're not like in it for like engagement, but for lack of a better word, it feels like people just like aren't really using it as much. Like, you know, we joke back and forth. Like I tweeted something like I got like one like or like, you know, you tweeted something that like got one or two likes too. And it's just like, I, and then I looked the other day and I lost like two or 300 followers, which again, is not something like that I stay up and I think about, but it's just like, you know, you visit your profile every now and then to find a tweet and then you see like the number go down. You're like, oh, whoa. So it's like all these weird things are happening. And I, and we're just in this weird phase where we have to wait for it to settle down yeah. and who knows how long that's going to take to kind of see what's going to happen. Uh, I really hope people stick around and, and, and don't leave, but I like I kind of joke that I've gone through all the stages of grief with Twitter, like to where now I'm at I'm at acceptance. It's like, you know, if people want to go to Mastodon, you know, go for it. And I hope it works great. But it's just like, 
at the ripe old age of 34, I'm almost like, oh, I'm just too old for like another social <laughs> network. Like I just can't, you know? Um, but I love what we have going on Twitter with, with the community. And I hope that the prevailing thought will be that the collective people are what make Twitter great. Like you could hate or love whoever runs it. And that's run the gamut since Twitter's existed, right? With every CEO. Yeah. But we are the, the, the people that are there are what make it good. Um, and I have a mute list that's as long as my book series at this point. So like I've almost got Twitter down to where it's like, I don't see the stuff that drives me nuts anymore. Like I really don't. And you can find it if you want, but that was like the sweet spot for me. And I think a lot of people are worried like those kinds of bad things will come in and hopefully that they, they don't, uh, nobody wants that. But you know, I hope that it just, it's just like, we, we make Twitter fun, you know, not, not who owns it. So I'm holding on to that um, thought. So hopefully it'll survive under that notion. But yeah, at next year's uh, anticipated, highly anticipated Christmas special, I guess it'll be fun to revisit this conversation and see what's happened. Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, I'm a lot more hopeful about the community as a community just existing somewhere. I think mm -hmm. even this recent Mastodon thing has shown like people can jump ship and do the same types of things that they do somewhere else. And so in some capacity and like, like you said, blogs were kind of the name of the game uh, before, and there's plenty of different ways of doing blogging that that'll work. And yeah, you already have like a great blog. That's a, a destination for people. I think it'll, I think it'll, it'll all work out in the end. It's just a, it's a weird time and it's a weird time with lots of deep emotions for lots of people. Oh uh, yeah. Which doesn't, you know, doesn't help with the discourse maybe, but uh yeah. At the end of the day, I think having some mechanism, you've been a great example for me and I've been trying to do it, although I don't know how successfully, but like trying to just constantly talk about what you're doing, share out your ideas, be vulnerable with the reality of your situation. Um, that's really what helps bring people along um, and makes all of us, I think, better at what we do. And so... I think I think there's ways that we'll continue to do that even without Twitter. Um, but I'm with you. I think Twitter to me is still the one that I actually like more. Um, I just hope that, you know, the current ownership doesn't just completely destroy it. <laughs> and, and, you know, personally, that's funny for me because uh, I think I blogged about this one time. But like I, I've been like big boy pants responsible with the book money, you know, saved a lot of it, use it for family. And the only like me purchase I, I did was I bought uh, a Tesla because my, my car like went out around the same time. And like, it's funny when I say that loud, I didn't buy like the crazy insane. I just bought the lowest model, yeah, yeah. like the most affordable one. Like when I was looking at other cars, like there were Toyotas and Chevys that like cost more. So, you know, I, I got the Tesla and I love it. And it's so weird because it's like, how can this person who makes like this product that I think is so great, which he's overblown a ton of promises too, which sure. obviously with the self-driving, like, can he do this with like, is he going to make Twitter? Like, can he handle that? Like social media and cars are not the same thing. No. Um, but I just keep thinking in my head, like he's got to be this billionaire for a reason, right? Like, is there some method to his madness? So it's going to be really funny to, or fun slash funny slash disheartening slash scary slash all these other emotions to just see what in the world is going to happen with Twitter. Like I just, I have no idea what an Elon Musk Twitter looks like, to be honest, from, from a product standpoint. I think we have an idea of that at this point, which is 
blue check marks for everybody causing mayhem i mean yeah, that's not a great start chaos. oh right, man. right uh yeah i have i have a lot of thoughts on that that i won't get i won't get deep on but uh is there a method to his madness the method might be i start out with a large amount of money as the the main <laughs> entry point true and then madness ensues but somehow you can turn that large amount of money into more money um, it's crazy what a large amount of money can do to start something, you know? Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> or destroy something, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I don't want to get too deep into that specifically. But yeah, Tesla is a good example of a similar thing. It's like, why does, why does he have to be so public? Like, How many products do I own? How many products sitting in front of me are uh, me buying them or helping bad people, right? Like how many CEOs yeah. of these major companies are people that I like the way that they act even the iphone's a great example like if you've read the book on that like the actual sweat and blood it takes to make an iphone i wish we could put put it in the show notes maybe i'll message after you but it came out like two or three years ago and it was just a book on like the cost the human cost to make an iphone and it's crazy like the raw materials and the mining and stuff so like that yeah that's one example right there but we don't ever think of it that way most ceos don't aren't just like publicly broadcasting their you know, crazy takes and ideas. That is a very big difference. Yeah. And it's, and it's almost nerve wracking to talk about it on a podcast. You're like, Oh Oh, yeah, I'm about to get into inviting. Like you just have to say it like how crazy all of this is though. Cause it it is wild. Now that we've gotten all of our feelings out, the fire over here is slowly dying. I think it's time to let you, I think you're about to, you're about to start your, your sort of yearly vacation. Aren't you? You're going to disappear from the internet. Yeah started started today yep turning off twitter doing all that stuff uh got my video game for the year picked out Ooh. horizon forbidden west gonna dive into that nice uh going down to a uh, nice little uh resort down in the next city for tonight and coaching my son's basketball team this weekend so i'm i'm ready to go uh by the way the book is called the one device the secret history of the iphone okay um, perfect looked back in the journal uh but yeah, so uh, I I can think of no better way to start my vacation than our yearly uh, fireside chat. Yep, yep, awesome. Well, I guess uh, I'll end it the way I always do, which is <laughs> where can people find you and your work, Jordan? <laughs> Take a guess, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Twitter. Ironically enough, yeah, at Jordan Morgan ten. Uh, of course, my website net, is of course at app.net. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to go on a tangent, but I found some app.net code and buffer the other day that I Ooh. still hadn't taken out. Oh, that's funny. Uh, old relic but yeah and then the website is swiftjectivec.com so check that out and then the llc which i started uh to release the unnamed uh app that i'm working on mac is day well spent so you can sign up to the mailing list there it's daywellspent.io uh which is officially the first plug i've ever had for that so Ooh, uh, there you cool. go bit, so bit if you're interesting and interested in uh one man indie product uh management project management whatever you want to call it uh head there and that'll be in the show notes obviously as well Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Jonathan Ruiz. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. Launched.fm.